0: You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. So Romans chapter 16. uh, The message is called Friends. And uh, so this is actually Paul, in a most interesting way, talking about friends. I I am going to uh, just pray to start. And then I can't, I can't read the text, which is just a lengthy, lengthy list of 24 names. I can't read that and then get going and back and forth. It'll just be too complicated, too difficult. So I'm actually just going to pray at this moment, ask for you to join me in prayer, and then we're going to talk about the gospel and Jesus and church and friends. So pray with me. So Father, we come now at this moment, and I pray to you, God, simply by the blood of Jesus, Because you have granted that divine access to yourself and to your heart through the blood of Jesus, through the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And God, we pray now in the spirit of Pentecost, God, that the Holy Spirit would smile and shine upon us, that we would be your church full of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, full of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that now you would teach us all things. And so help us, God, to understand, know, and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Amen. Friends, that's what Paul, Paul's doing something here. Uh, He starts out in verse 1 of Romans chapter 16. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancreia. That is right next to Corinth, if you know your history and your geography in ancient Greece that you may welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, to help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and myself as well. Here's what's so fascinating about this text and this book. I hope you appreciate it. I hope you've been with us for many Sundays of study. The book of Romans is an academic dissertation where the Apostle Paul wants to explain to the church Listen, it's important in case I don't get this to you, in case you don't understand what the faith is about, I'm going to write this down. One plus one plus one all the way. It's an academic dissertation. It's linear. Very few books of the Bible are like that. This is a linear presentation of the Bible and of the gospel and of the truth. And he starts out by saying that the righteous man, the righteous woman is justified by faith. There is no way that you're going to take of your own humanity and somehow be right before God. Paul will later on say, for grace, we are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. Everybody say amen. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. So, so our faith, he starts out in those kind of more heady, philosophical Theological terms, and he's going to talk about sin. He's going to introduce this concept called propitiation, which I'm sure you guys all know a lot about, right? You talk that way every day. Hey, can you propitiate my sin? All right, that's a that's a very old language and way of saying, can our sin be satisfied? Can our heirs against God be satisfied? And Paul is going to go through a long thing, list and say your heirs and sin against God are satisfied by Jesus at the cross. So it's all of this academic, theological, philosophical language that he's here for 15 chapters. And then he weirds me out (laughs) because he starts at chapter 16 and he becomes a bro, he becomes a brother, he becomes a friend. He goes, okay, everything I said is true. Now let me tell you about some people's lives. And let me remind you that it's not a mental religion. It's not in the sense of a mental ascent. It's not a philosophy. The gospel is a dynamic living truth. Jesus is the Logos. That was a way in the ancient world of speaking about a word, and yet it was even understood amongst pagans that words had spiritual meaning and spiritual power. And so Jesus is that, according to John's gospel, this living word, that living Logos, that living word of God that will actually abide and reside in us with the fire of God's divine love. And so now now he's going to talk about everybody he loves, and it's just an opposite of what you might think. You would tend to think that after such an academic conversation, you're going to say, okay, you guys got it right? You understand it? Okay, now do it. He doesn't say that. Let me tell you what church life is like. Church life is a life full of friends. A life of beauty and a life of connection. And so friendship in the church might be easy to say it this way. There's kind of, I'm going to outline it this way. Three groups of friends. And you want these in your life. You want to be this friend. You want to cultivate this. You want to have this in your life. But, it, but I'm going to mirror by the life of Jesus Christ. You want to have a group of three, in a sense. And listen, I realize some of you are like really literal learners. And so if I say three, you think, well, wait, wait, I'm not, there's something wrong with me. I have four. No, that's okay. All right. It's the principle, A small group of three. Jesus had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the rest. But Peter and John were in this inner group of this three that were with him. And uh, so he was tight with those. There was a group of 12, which I all the apostles, and then a larger group of 72. So Jesus himself had three, had 12 of 72 groups of people working with him. The group of three is a bit like this, as I kind of warm up to our text. So in the group of three, you're going to find your deepest loyalty amongst friendship. And you should have this in church life, and you should have it in Christ. These are your deepest loyal people. Do you have a friend? Do you have a friend out there where you get them, and you start talking, and they complete your sentence, and they get your sentence right? You have friends like that? Okay, that's probably a group of three friends. It's somebody who has a long, long history with you. Somebody who's known you for a long time. Somebody who's known you probably through different contexts. And for me, I'm a little charmed as your pastor in that sense that you guys know me in, you know through, through this, right? So I'm preaching the word, and I, I have this place in the church called Pastor or whatever. But it's really fun for me, and even for some of you, to meet my long-term friends. And I have some really long-term friends that have been loyal to me through every high and every low. And then they come around, and you watch how they treat me. And it's kind of irreverent, right, because they don't know me as Pastor Rick. You know, and, and, and sometimes I can't even look at it when I'm preaching because it's just too funny. You know, we, we've known each other from boyhood, right? We, we knew each other before we could shave, you know, and so we, we, we knew each other when we couldn't even drive, you know. And, we, and it's all of that throughout the, all the years. And they can complete my sentences. And they come to church now. They live in different places because they've come to Christ. It's a beautiful story. But that's sort of your group of three. The group of twelve, a little more expanded, you know. So, so in the group of three, you're going to have the deepest loyalty. You're going to have you're going to have real passion. Uh, passion comes easily in that group. In the group of twelve, that's where really your belonging needs are met. A lot of people make a mistake in church life, thinking if I just have one or two friends, I belong, I feel connected. Believe it or not, you really need you know more than that. You need a small group. It has to be some sort of small group. Even in a congregation this size, you know, I could probably you know. I could, I could parse out the different groups of family and friends. You all kind of sit where you are, and, and, and you come together, and that's the way it should be. Like, that's the way it should be. You're going to come and sit in your familiar areas. You Oh, it's so great to see you. Oh, that's great. And you should have a small group. And you should participate through the week in a small group. It's a sort of Bible study or or smaller group. And you should have some sort of smaller ministerial group. Or this is how you're expressing your life and your faith in some small way. And some of you guys come and set up. Uh, there were people who were chopping watermelon this morning. That's my small group. Yeah, because I, I don't mind tasting watermelon before church. But that's, that's, that's that community, that connection uh, that's a kind of, kind of a place where you serve, and you're going to feel a belonging in a small group. And then the group of 72 is where you're going to see, really, your gifts flourish. That's a calling. That's a purpose. You're gonna, the group is larger. It's a larger group and body. And so, so you feel like, okay, well, my gifts kind of belong here, and I, I can serve. I can be used. A, a sense of purpose. That's, that's how that's divided, and that makes for a very vibrant faith, these groups of 3 and 12 and 72, and you have to cultivate that. I can't program that for you. You have to cultivate that. And and so Jesus had that in his life. He had had the group of three. He had the group of 12. And and so so at certain times, though, especially with the the group of 12, he he asked them, are you ready to be called on us? Everybody has left. And Peter's going to famously say, where can we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. So here now, back in the text, that's all by way of introduction. Thank you for that. As we talk about friends, he's commending Phoebe. Phoebe's incredible. Now, now Phoebe's going to be doing something uh, that we know through history, and that she's actually, she's actually the one who's actually going to take this word. So this is being written in Corinth. So if you get into the history, I know it's been a while since I've talked about this, but you get it. she's in ancient Greece as a woman. And she's going to take what might be the sole and singular copy of Scripture. And she's going to go and take it to Rome. She's going to be entrusted with that. I'm sure some of you maybe have had something valuable in your hands or somebody tried to put something valuable in your hand. Maybe it's a painting or a plate or something like that. And you say, no, don't put that in my hands. I don't know if there's some of you out there. Don't raise your hands if that's you. Right? But, uh, but I sometimes feel that way, you know, like don't put valuable things in my hands. I might drop it. You know, I, I, don't, I don't always know if my physicality is very gracious, and so I don't want to drop something. So here, here is Phoebe, and she is going to be called upon to go to Rome as a woman. Trust me, that's not safe. Like just get that in your mind that was not safe. And that would take somebody of tremendous skill and bravery, and courage, and she's going to be entrusted with the word of God to deliver this this word to Rome, and to make sure that it's recorded, recorded accurately and properly, and because of her courage, we have this scripture in your Bible that you're reading right now. That's who she is, and so Paul says, I commend you, my sister Phoebe, this wonderful servant in the Lord, a patron of many, and of myself as well, he starts out, greet, next he says, greet, Prisca and Aquila, other ways in the Bible known as Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks from my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Now, what's fascinating about Priscilla and Aquila, first of all, I love when Paul does this. He's going to value women here. So Priscilla's Priscilla's actually the woman. Aquila's actually the guy. She's listed first, his fellow workers. So this was a couple that came and began to co-labor with him, and they were talented, and they, they seemingly had uh, financial means. And they were, they were kicked out of Rome during certain persecutions. And they still maintained the faith. And they came to the Apostle Paul, and they just like his wingman. You know, so where's the spirit driving Paul? I'm right underneath him, right there. And these were people of tremendous, tremendous talent, both husband and wife. Don't miss what the Scripture says. They're not stuttering when it says it here. Who risked their neck for my life? Paul was not popular, not always liked. Uh, Many disagreements could come, and he did have many disagreements, and some of them were were actually his own human frailties. His mentor is a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas is not his real name, his real name's. Joseph. He's a Levite. Barnabas means son of encouragement. This is that one person who was so encouraging and so wonderful, they gave him the nickname encourager. That's his mentor. And it's good that he had a mentor that way, because Paul was a piece of work. The apostle Paul was a religious terrorist. So think about that. That's who he was beforehand, such as Zelot, for a certain brand of Judaism, that he's a religious teria, uh, terrorist. When, when you're a religious terrorist, you are hurting people. You are killing people. And so that's how he gets saved. He's on his way to take Christians' lives more and more to persecute them, and Jesus encounters them. We don't know this from the Bible. We understand it by a way of history because Paul attained to the highest levels of Judaism by which only married men were qualified, yet we know him later as an apostle to be single, which meant not only was this guy a religious terrorist, but he also got a divorce and his wife left him. So I just want you to think about this. (laughs) This is why we all need Barnabases around him. So trust me, trust me when I'm hiring new pastoral staff I, and, and new elders in our church, I don't have as a qualification. Are you a religious terrorist? <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. We really like those around here. Oh, that's great. Did you, were, you, were, you, were you really such a difficult husband that your wife left you? Oh, that's good. We really like that as a qualification. I mean, you know, that, that's not what we turn to, right? But the grace of God is something that you and I are often sometimes offended by. Because the grace of God means such a global, total forgiveness of our sins that we are absolutely not worthy of, and can never work to attain. It's so given by complete grace that here is the Apostle Paul, and I'll talk about apostles more in a moment. But here is the Apostle Paul, religious terrorist, murderer, divorcee, chosen. <laughs> Would that make your list? It wouldn't make mine. And that's the problem. And so Priscilla and Aquila hang with them. Now, I mentioned Barnabas by way of a history of Acts, if you're familiar with that story, because the Apostle Paul would ultimately have so many immaturity issues and still be so stubborn that he would actually break up the A team with Barnabas. And so now he loses his friend. And then he lost another worker named Mark. And then he had another guy named Demas that, that actually left his ministry and actually heard him and turned against him. And so, so he's having these things unravel. He's having these things unravel. Now, what does the text say? Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life. And not only I, I give thanks, but all the churches of Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also those in their church and their house. This is those friends who, when everybody else leaves your life, they don't. That's who they were. May you have those. May you have those. And may you be that. Can't be that for everybody, but you can be that for some. May that be true of our church. Maybe that be true of our fellowship. When everybody else leaves... When everybody else condemns, maybe rightly, maybe justly, maybe, maybe the condemnation would be right. Yes, I've sinned that way. I've been, I have that error. I have this shortcoming, that accusation. Yes, maybe that's true, but they don't leave. Because they love you at your worst because of Christ. That was Fresca and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila in the other text. Unbelievable. Paul gives them tremendous uh, uh, greetings and, and, and good word. He's going to talk about a few others here. He's going to say, greet my beloved Epaphras, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Oh, just think about that. The first brother in Asia gets saved and he's still walking with the Lord decades and decades later. He says, greet that one. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing to say. Greet Andronicus and junia my kinsmen my fellow prisoners they're well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me so he's saying these here that are listed they were christians before me i became this apostle they're jews they're my fellow my fellow kinsmen and also if that's not enough these are those so bold and courageous with me, so bold and courageous with me, that we found ourselves in a dungeon in prison together. Those are those that are saying, wherever the gospel is going, I'm going, and if it puts me in prison, then it puts me in prison, and there I am. And they were all together, ultimately delivered. Incredible. Incredible. And so he's mentioning these friends. Again, I think as you see this list, it's so unique, such a unique turn compared to everything he's been talking about beforehand, these lofty theological words. And now now he's going to talk about his friends. He's going to keep going. Greet Amphilaeus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, my beloved Stachius. Greet Ampelus, who's approved in Christ. It's a wonderful compliment. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. That's so fascinating he mentions, greet my kinsman Herodian. What that means, that's from that family of Herod. So if we were to do a play, uh, you know, if we were to do some sort of dramatic, you know, like, you know, dinnertime play or that kind of thing. So then there would be in the dinnertime kind of theater vibe, there would be the hero would come out. And then we would all cheer, right? Have you ever been part of those dinnertime theaters? And, you know, so then the hero comes out, we all cheer. Yeah, that's great. And then, and then you know, the bad guy comes out and uh, the antagonist and there we boo and hisses. And this is the dinnertime theater. It's an old, old kind of vibe. Trust me that in the Bible, that if we we're dinnertime the- theater sort of play and Herod comes out, we would all boo and hiss. Like, that's not a good guy. That's a terrible person. That is really a terrible family, actually. They torture and murder and do many other things, which I can't even really repeat. Those are terrible, but they came to Christ. They got saved. They became born again. They joined the church loyally and faithfully. They became servants, and they paid a a huge price for that. And so he greets them and says, My kinsmen, Herodian, greet those in the Lord who belonged to the family of Narcissus. And if you can say that really well three times, you're better than I. Verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord, Trampanea and Trifosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Man, that's a great name, greet Rufus. <laughs> Chosen in the Lord, also his mother, has been a mother to me as well. Verse 13. We, we sort of talked about that as we brought kids up here, as we prayed. But one of the things church life, when it's really working so well, is that we have brothers and sisters and spiritual fathers. And we have spiritual mothers. And we're operating across generations at multiple levels. And we turn to one another for celebration. We turn to one another in different kinds of needs. And I've been blessed. Listen, church, and just by way of ter- personal testimony, I mean, I really have been blessed through the years. It uh, wasn't all that long ago that I, I turned to a woman in church and I said, she, I, I said I got to come over. I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. And so she was nice enough. We we're friends, real friends. And she let me over to her house. And, uh, and listen, I actually just started crying. For a long time. This is your pastor. This is how church life. That's why I'm being transparent with you this way. And she said, my pastor, what, what do you need? I don't know how to help you right now. And I said, I need a mom. I just need you to be a mom for me for about 60 minutes, right? And you know her response, right? She just wrapped her arms around me and cried with me. She goes, I'll be your mom. I'll be your mom. I go, I, just, I, just, I, ha- I, I need to talk to an older woman like I would talk to a mom because I have something inside. I'm trying to get out. And I, and I just, I need some surrogate in that role. And she healed my heart. She healed my heart. And that's church life for us. So you need, you need to open yourself up that way. Okay, so I just watched it. That person didn't call me. Hey, pastor, I see that you have some deficits in your inner working of your soul and spirit. Come over to my house. I'll make you some biscuits and I'll heal your soul, right? It doesn't work that way. You, you, you have to take that step yourself. And I'm using that story because I'm the pastor of the church, right? I'm supposed to have it all together, it's supposedly, right? I don't. And I'm not supposed to either. I'm supposed to follow Christ we're doing it together. So you have, to, you have to open yourself up to that and say, I don't need you to be you know, this forever or whatever the case is. Can I just open myself and entrust my soul to you in this moment? And can you help me? Can you pray for me? You have to do that. That's the anchor and cement of friendship within church. That is the secret, one of the spiritual secrets between Jesus with the three and the 12 and the 72. And that's what they have. And so the Apostle Paul here, the fallout that I just told you, right? A murderer, uh, a divorcee, many uh, misunderstandings. And he has a spiritual mother and he's going to greet her as well. A list of names that comes on there in verse 14, verse 15 as well, and verse 16, he's gonna say, greet one another with the holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So that is what you expect. Uh, just the enthusiastic personal greeting, you know, of us. And and so, so the holy kiss. Okay, so look at it. Could be, it, could, it could be, you know, in my Caribbean root system, that's just a big hug. And I would tell you that in the Caribbean islands of where I'm from, our hugs are a little bit longer, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying anything by this, you know, but I'm just going to tell you, you know, in the upper 48 right here, you know, the, the, the hug tends to be like, okay, very nice to be with you, <laughs> right? right? That's, that's not how it is in the Caribbean. It's not how it is in Minneapolis. It's like, it's like, man, I mean, if my mama were here and she got she'd grab you. And you, you're like, you just better hold on because she ain't going to let go when she feels like it, right? She'll, so she's going to grab you like that, right? You know, this Puerto Rican woman's going to hang on to you and hang on to you and hang on to you, you know? And then she's going to say, you know, it's just my grandmother, Renata, funny name, you know, my Puerto Rican grandmother. You know, then she's going to kiss you on the cheek, you know, or the neck, actually, because she was shorter like this. You know, she, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to last as long, and then she goes, okay, now I gave it to you, good, now you're filled, right? That's, that, that's an idea. It's an example of that, you know? And and so so you don't you don't have to literally kiss somebody to come to church, uh, you know. But it's the idea of affection. It's the idea of letting someone know personally that you're uh, um, greeting them and that you're happy to see them and be with them. All the churches in Christ greet you. So it's fascinating because you will be talking about friendship here. And, and then he's going to turn to something that's very fascinating, and I definitely want to clamp on this for a moment. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. I'm in verse 17. To watch out for those who cause divisions, create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naïve. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, innocent as to what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet, to which you say amen and memorize that verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay, so it's a family. And so sometimes church families, whether it's locally or you know, globally or regionally, can have, can have like things that will disturb the force. And so I see one that's trying to disturb the force that I for years hoped would stay away and hope would stay away and it's not staying away and so now I'm going to speak out against it. I'm going to tell it to you this way. There are no new apostles. So there's an academic construct by a guy named C. Peter Wagner who was a borderline heretic if not an outright one and he had a whole series called New Apostolic Reformation. It's a lie, don't believe it. There are no new apostles. What we have is the ability in Christ to be anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have authority in Christ as Christ has given us. There's an academic term called the vice region of God and that is the Christians and we, we have all of that power and all of that authority. We're not apostles. An apostle saw the living Christ when he was alive. An apostle saw the resurrected Christ after the cross. And an apostle third had the authority to actually write scripture and declare what is true and what is not. There are no new apostles. There's apostolic ministries. Those are global and missionary of their nature. There's apostolic uh, evangelistic organizations that can sometimes be stereotypical of like a Billy Graham or a Greg Laurie. There's no new apostles. We give to you right here what is the word of God that is not the invention of man. It's not a prophetic word. It's the literal word. It's not an invented word. It's an ordained word of God. It is unfailing, unchanging, and without error, and people leave it and divide it at their own peril. We will never do that as a church. So I love some of those people on the side of the street. Some of them are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and... uh, and they don't have to listen to me, but there are no new apostles, and it's troubling the church, and I don't want to speak out against it. I want to put that down. I want you to know that. Anybody who can claim to be a new apostle can cause a lot of problems. If you don't believe me, if somehow you're influenced by this, then I'm going to give you the last criteria of an apostle. Okay, the last criteria of an apostle. Are you ready for it, church? You don't look ready for it. Okay, now you're ready for it. They were martyred for the faith. And those, my friends, who claim to be apostles, okay, they fly in planes and they raise money, millions of dollars, millions of dollars to let me spend millions of dollars in Jesus' name because I'm so important, you know, I'm so important that I need to have my own private jet. Just, it's garbage, don't believe it. An actual apostle was martyred for the faith. By the way, an actual apostle lived with tremendous poverty, more poverty than this church would ever afford me. An actual apostle lived with actual poverty, And those who call themselves apostles fly on planes and do not live in absolute poverty. They are liars and they are perverts of the faith and do not ever listen to them. Paul will go on. It's very interesting about talking about that. And he'll go on now to compliment a few. Arturius, you wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. So there was a transcriber there. Gaius, who is host to me in the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city, church, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortes greet you. Which means that the gospel, the gospel, was actually reaching into the political sphere there, and we know this from the Book of Philippians, would actually reach the household of Caesar. And let me just tell you that those who think that our faith is private and does not affect politics, you are actually deceived. Our faith governs the totality of your life and all of society, and only God knows how to govern society. And so the gospel and the kingdom is in fact looking to take over every single layer of society. It's asking every man and every woman to bow their knee to Jesus Christ. And in this case, the city treasurer said yes. And Quartus greets you. Now, this is a great doxology. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Here it is, church, verse 27. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Here is is the faith. There is, in a sense, a life that's defined by a circle where you are at the center. And this is the human problem. We place ourselves at the center of our lives. And many people, unfortunately, don't understand the concept of sin. So I'll use some earthly language to talk about that we have a broken psychology. And some people will kind kind of get to that. Uh, but when I'd say that we are broken and that you're a sinner, uh, most people don't understand that God is watching. Now, God is watching to free you from sin, but he is the only wise God, as this verse says. So what that means is that God here, you know, it's fascinating, and, and, it's, and it's a new generation that's, that has this. And I don't know why anybody would ever do this. I don't know why you would get your phone out and record yourself doing something bad, and then tell the world about it, right? Yeah. And so there's all kinds of silly ways of doing it, and some are really sad, and, or whatever the case is, but people do this all the time. And so I will, here's, I'm going to use this as an illustration. This is you in the center of your life, and God has a phone, and he can record everything. And the Bible says that he can record even your own spoken thoughts, your own spoken words they actually even recording your attitudes. And so there's a person out there that's saying, well, I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to show God. You sure? He's going to get this out. Okay, great you know what? I'm not even going to talk to you because I'm God. Let's get Paul out here. That's a pretty good one. Let's get Peter out here. Now we're going to, now we're going to show a screen. Now we're going to show a screen. What day of your life do you want to take? Let's take your best day of your life. Let's get the best day of your life. Now we're going to record it. Now we're going to record it. Now, what do you say about this, my friend? Oh, that, that, that's not so good, huh? No, that's called sin. What about the next one? Oh, yeah, that, that's not good at all. What about that one? I'd like you to stop now. All right. This is you, the center of your life. This is the human problem. And in that sense, biblically, it's called through a a theological term, it's called lordship. You are the lord of your life. You don't like to think of yourself that way, but you are that way because when we look at your checkbook, we look at your day timer, and we look at your will, you are making all the independent decisions for your life. So no matter what you say with your mouth, that's you. Over here is the kingdom of God. It operates as a sphere of tremendous power. And it has liberty. And the cross is at the center, so Jesus Christ now is at the center of this. And you are in the circle, but you are in submission to Christ underneath Christ. Jesus Christ governs everything about your life. And here, here, because now you're in the kingdom of God, because now you're in the sphere of God, because now the cross has taken you and placed you here. Here now there is no more guilt. Here now, there is no more bondage to sin. All of your addictions stay over there. Here is absolute freedom. By the way, here is actually divine rights as a son and daughter of God, and so no one can condemn you. Does anyone dare bring an accusation against you? God defends you and sets that down. Is there a demon trying to say that there's something that he has no permission to speak? Here you are God's son and daughter. Here you have blessing, here you have privilege, here you have answered prayer, here you have tremendous power, here you have a life of purpose, here you have a life of tremendous redemption. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is at the center. And so a person leaves the sphere of themselves by asking and praying to leave this sphere and to come over into a new one called the kingdom of God and you're going to do it by faith. You're going to do it by grace, and you're going to be saved in that same manner. And Jesus had a last qualification about this because it's really, you can't can't earn this at all, but he's going to say you need to do it publicly. He's going to say, I'm going to the cross, dying for your sin publicly. And so your confession of me as the center of your life is actually going to be a public confession. You're going to declare me publicly that I am the Lord of your life, the King of your life, and the center of your life. And I'm calling you out of all darkness into the light of my marvelous love and grace. And so I say and offer that to you that I'm going to pray right now. And I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and make a public declaration of faith to declare yourself as a follower of God. I'm looking for those who haven't done this in a long time or those who are doing it for the first time. But you can come home. And we're going to pray up here for a few minutes. It's going to be a dynamic moment. I don't want anybody to leave or move except to get out of your seat and come up here after I pray. And you're going to declare Jesus Christ is the center of my life. And at that moment, at that place, divine love will fall upon you. The Holy Spirit will fill you, and you will see guilt and condemnation and demons release their grip from you. You'll be healed. You'll be saved. Father, I pray now that you would come just so wonderfully upon your church, gathered in your name, that you'd help us by your supernatural grace to to enter into the kingdom of God, to experience the uh, tremendous, tremendous joy of connection with you, to leave sin, guilt, and demons behind, to leave every form of bondage and addiction, God, that this world has to offer, but to walk now and enter into liberty and truth and supernatural power. And I pray now, God, that you would grant faith to all of us here to react and act at your prompting. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.